What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to another episode of Between Two Posts, aka B2P. We're kind of rebranding it, or maybe I'm just kind of going with it because it's easier to type in when I put it on the socials. But uh, it's Everett here alongside the legendary Kyle Conan, e-bug for the Tampa Bay Lightning, all-around stud. It's uh, Tuesday, October 26th. It's 4.12 p.m. We have a great interview lined up for you, so stick around for that. But listen to the intro because... Kyle, we never got back to the flight story. You texted me like two episodes ago. We talked about traveling and how miserable airports are and how people like just turn their brains off and turn into mutants. But you had an incident two weeks ago where you took a a spirit flight, I think, to Austin. What happened? I think I you have no idea. <laughs> you, you, you flew to go see. Um, yeah, you're asking me two weeks after the fact. Well, then it would must not have been that memorable no, or insane. It was something absurd, but like you didn't even like, all right, I don't know. We can either cut this or leave it in to know so they can know how ridiculous this is. Like didn't give me any warning of where this question was going. You just said, yeah, you at least let, let me like try to remember like on the spot. No, nah, I just I don't remember what was happening. And that was definitely more than two weeks ago, too. No, that was like a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Okay, so that's on me. So like, let's let's let that one simmer. If your subconscious draws up that story, you did fly Spirit though. That was the problem, right? Or Frontline Frontier. We we Texas Texas might have been Southwest. Okay. We I don't fly Spirit. The the worst one I'll fly is Allegiant. Oh yeah, you you texted me about that. You're like, dude, yeah. we should we should go to Boston for like ten bucks. You can get Allegiant flights for dirt cheap. Oh yeah, the tickets are like thirty bucks. But um, yeah, I, I don't yeah, really remember. Um, you get on an Allegiant is. flight and they'll be like, hey Everett, you want to go fly the plane? We lost our pilot today. Yeah. Um, new story. You had a huge weekend. You got to go to the the Disney Star Wars thing. I I've heard how insane that is. Did you make a lightsaber? No. So, I mean, it's super cool. It's like, especially because I love Star Wars. Like you're a huge Star Wars guy, which I didn't find out till I visited you the other week or month, two months or whatever. When I was there, I didn't realize how big a Star Wars guy you are. timeline is so far off right now. (laughs) My life flies, man. I'm way too busy to be remembering when stuff was. Um, No. So it's (laughs) Disney's just like overbooks everything. So you have to do uh, reservations to to do like anything that's the activity like stuff cool. yeah so what I, I i ended up looking after the fact but the reservations are booked out like basically six months what? so like if you want to yeah so like it, it kind of makes sense like if you're a family of like four or whatever and you're going to plan a disney trip you're like oh let's plan like for summer and we'll reserve the lightsaber building and we'll do dinner here and that and then you book it and your whole trip's booked like a year in advance. Well, for us, like we're Florida, Florida residents. So you just do the, the day pass. We drove over and we go and like all the, all the good restaurants are just booked the whole day to build the lightsabers book. So like, I mean, you still can do cool stuff, but you, unless you're going to like really plan out your trip, um, you're limited. Well, you were able to ride the rides though, right? Yeah, you can do the rides and they, they actually got rid of the fast pass. So now you, it's just I've been saying they should do this forever. Just charge money to do a fast pass and way less people will do it and it'll actually work. Cause like this the old system was they gave everybody like two fast passes 
for the day. So everyone That's has stupid. a fast pass. So like, it's not really a fast pass. Cause even if you use the fast pass, you're still waiting in line like 30 minutes yeah. as opposed to an hour. So um, yeah, now they just made it. You can have unlimited. You just pay 15 bucks for each one. And I'm like, 100% worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not waiting. In, like if, if you think about it, like an, an hour for $15 is very worth it. Especially if, if you're going to Disney already and spending like stupid money, like just to walk in the door. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I'm going to pay 10 bucks for a water, I'm going to pay 15 bucks to not wait in line for the ride. So <laughs> yeah, I, I will say the ride is actually the, the, the new uh, rise of the resistance ride is probably the best ride I've ever been on in my life. Like it's the, it's Disney's newest like ride. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a story mode, right? It's just, it's so cool. Is it like is it like movie screen stuff or like is it a real ride where you're like on a roller coaster type it's like, thing? It's like a four part ride. So like you start out on um have you have you done Soren before? You like sit in seats and it's a virtual screen. So you start out yeah, I've seen that. like yeah. that. Um then you get out and you're like like the ride moves you along. You get out and you're like in uh well it's story. I, I don't know if I should explain the whole thing, but basically it's just multiple parts different types of rides different cool effects and it's uh but it's all just like one big ride Mm -hmm. did you do anything else while you were there besides fighting down that burp (laughs) i watched Uh, you were just like (laughs) i got this yeah i mean yeah we we walked around like the park we so when you go to disney like does the whole star wars thing just take up the whole day like i i haven't been to a disney since i was probably like eight so i don't like when you walk in is your set goal like i'm gonna spend eight hours because the star wars thing's so big is that how it goes i mean i i could have um like i went with hannah so she wanted to do other rides too and there's i mean like she she let me do the whole Star Wars thing, and she loves Frozen, so I sat through the Frozen sing-along. Those are two um, very, very different <laughs> things, man. <laughs> yeah, and like, oh, I was, I was fighting through the the, the Frozen sing-along. And you don't like Frozen? I like Frozen, but like, man, I, I don't want to be like. Uh, she's not going to listen to this, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm not. I don't want to sit in a room with kids like four years old singing along with like bubbles coming down from the roof. Like, oh it's, man, it's, see that's that's it like, for me. It's literally <laughs> it's designed for like like kids under six, and at least like the Star Wars one is like for adults. Like it's a it's a ride. It's a <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> I'm gonna clip this and send this to him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't know, dude, the what what you're describing is just having a really good time, like the the mood in that room with the bubbles coming down and everyone's singing and everyone's happy. Like, it's got to be such a joyous, joyous thing to be a part of. That's the positivity I need in my life right now. That's something I could get dealt with. Yeah, it was it's tough. Like, I think if I had kids, I'd be like, yeah, like, let's go see the Frozen sing along. But like, I mean, right now we're you know, it's just us two. So I just. That's something I would have thought like, oh, you know, we, we don't have to go do that, but we did. Oh, we don't have to sing with children. <laughs> oh, the best part was uh, the like the Disney worker was like, we walked by it and the show's in like 45 minutes. And she's like, oh, no, you're, you're going to want to ha- get in line now because like 
it'll fill up. So, so we waited 45 minutes to, to make sure we had a spot at the frozen single. Did, but did, did it fill up? It was packed, but like I said, with so, all, like, so they did you a solid then. It was a solid oh, no, tip I, to get in my line. Point was I just wouldn't have went to begin with. <laughs> yeah. You would but, not have waited 45 minutes just to see, to sing Elsa songs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, and you're not much of a singer either. Did you sing? Or did oh, no, you sit no, there? Oh, you're such a miserable guy. <laughs> so miserable. Enjoy yourself. You already paid to get in. Just have fun. Yeah. I, we had fun. It was a good time. I mean, it's, it's Disney. You can't be like miserable at Disney. It's just, it sounds it's like you didn't enjoy Elsa. That's all right. You, you, you just don't have a good taste for cinematic quality. In other news, Kyle, you're one step closer to being a father. You just got a puppy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, if you Whoa, don't, tell, sound, I don't sound so excited about getting a new dog. I got no sleep last night. He, I love him. He's like literally the cutest dog ever. But he just well, – I mean, last night was his first night we had him, so I think his sleep schedule is just – non-existent so does not have he was up all night and then today so i've been painting today and he's just been asleep all day which is perfect for you no terrible i'd rather him be awake when i'm like painting and then when i want to sleep he like is sleeping and not just barking all night well you know what you should be doing is you should be playing with him so that way like you have to you have to teach him to stay up during right but two things but one is like i'm i'm working and if i wasn't home like a normal normal people who get a puppy like the puppy from nine to at least four sleeps is gonna sleep or it's gonna be by itself so i mean i try to wake him up take him outside have like loud music so at least he's like like not just out the whole day but he was, he was wake up yeah. yeah what's his name uh it's kylo I got a yeah. I made a deal with Hannah. If I got to name him that, then you guys get a dog. No, she wanted a. She she wants to put a mirror in the front entry of her house, and um, I found some great ones at uh like like Target for uh like forty nine bucks. But um, I'm guessing her her pick is probably a lot of a lot nicer. Yeah, the one she likes is like a thousand dollars. Oh my god, Kyle! For a mirror, what? I was like, I was like, we, I was like, I don't, I just don't think we need that, you know? And she's like, but it's the first thing you see when you walk in the house. So we, um, you, we you, compromise. <laughs> you compromise on, on naming the dog and you get a thousand dollar mirror. That's nuts. Yeah. Well, you win some, you lose somebody. Um, yeah. You win some, you lose some. The thing is like, the, I, like, I feel like it's it's somewhat of a win-win, like because I got tell to yourself the dog. I got to name the dog and like we're it's a it's a nice mirror. Like I, I like nice things. It's just like I don't didn't want to spend that. But like once I spend it, I'm gonna be like, yeah, like we got a we got a good mirror, you know? Well, yeah, you can't you can't spend it and be miserable about it because then it's <laughs> well, a no, little, no, no. It's, you've lost on all yeah. uh, on all yeah. facets. Um Kylo, what how old is he? Like a couple months? Six weeks. Six. Oh, that's a puppy. Yeah, and is it a poodle? He's a he's a Morky. So he's a Maltese Yorkie mix. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, he's gonna be like probably like six or seven pounds when he's fully grown. He's that's, 
that's exciting, man. Then, then you can take him down to walks on the pier. The, no, the he pier. He's like too small to walk. Like he's. Oh, you just kind of lose him in the house. That's how small he is. No, so he, far. he's like a yeah. He's like a purse puppy. So like, well, that yeah, that was the other thing I got roped into. I guess now that we got the puppy, I have to I have to get him a purse to go in. No, so. Kyle, please don't. No, not for me. I'm not carrying. No, it. I know, but still, no. you're gonna you're gonna be that guy that walks his dog in a a baby stroller, but it's a like dog stroller. No, I. He's he's my buddy now. He just follows me wherever I go. So. Good. Good. You got to make sure he's more attached to you than he is her. Yeah, I think I have the upper hand because, like, I'm You're just home. home all day painting. And then, yeah, so it works out. Any news on the painting front here, Kyle? Anything new, cool coming up? Something you well, we should absolutely. look out for? I mean, uh, just got Chrome effects fully dialed in. Actually got a shout out. Uh, the Holy local Cross. guy. No? What's that? I thought it was a Holy Cross kid. It's it, it is, but the guy who's chrome like so to chrome a helmet, it's like a super complicated process. And like I tell I've me more. Chrome, I've chromed my helmets before, but they just look like a shiny silver. Garbage. This guy like is a like just specializes in chrome. And like his chrome is legit a like a the mirror. Probably better than the thousand dollar mirror we're buying now. Like <laughs> it is just it's perfect. So He's he's local and he does them and I actually had no idea but he's the guy who chromes like all of the NHL masks that you see that are chromed. It's this guy who lives like ten minutes away from me, so it was it was pretty crazy. I lucked out, got to see his shop, and uh, he's a super great guy, and I'm excited to work with him. Do you understand this reference? Yeah, yeah. Chrome. Chrome. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the Squidward one in SpongeBob. Oh, that's what we should do. Is when I if I ever get a new mask from Dom, I'll get a SpongeBob Chrome. Paint. Well, yeah, and um, off the record, I'm would love a mask Chrome for myself. At this, you know, <laughs> I don't know if there's something you could do about that, but yeah, let me uh, let me work on that. I'll uh, I'll work on that. Little podcast sponsorship. We'll we'll start charging Dom Dom sponsorship fees. We get a couple masks, and we'll say Pro's Choice like six times an episode makes sense um kyle that's all i got you got anything else uh yeah not about me though i was just you know one day happened to be scrolling instagram and i thought it was like a tsn posted it this like crazy datsuk move but i noticed it was your account that posted it and it was you getting datsuk by an (laughs) eight-year-old yeah 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 sometimes I haven't I haven't put on the pads probably in like six, seven months. I did I won the bar stool thing, won a little men's league championship, and I'm just like burnt out on playing. Like I coach a lot and stuff like that. Anyways, haven't, you know, haven't done it in a while. And uh on our team, our the 2011 team that we talked to Andy a little bit about that I help out with and goalie coach and stuff, they were going to Pittsburgh. And I said, how cool. We, we run with one goalie, so he just gets to play the games and stuff. They're 10 years old. I think that's pretty important. Um, but he gets to play all the games. But in practice, you know, he doesn't have a buddy to hang out with. There's no goalie partner. It's just me and him working together. And Sometimes I bag him, and we work hard, and we get ready to go. But I wanted the team to have fun before Pitt, before the big Pittsburgh tournament. And, uh, you know, with one goalie, you can't do cross-ice games. You can't do small area games. You can't do, like, you know, like the shootout battles, five puck, three puck, whatever you want to do. So I texted the coaches and I said, Hey, 
<clears throat> it'd be kind of fun. Like if, if you guys are down to have like a fun competitive day, I'll come out, I'll mess with the kids. I'll wear the gear. And the funny part is Kyle, I was genuinely trying to like, I thought I could stop him because I was watching the other side and I'm yeah. like, Oh, we got to like, got kind of keep it close. You know, obviously like if I just stand here, I can make a lot of these saves. And the first time we go through five puck, like our side, the kids couldn't score at all because I just stood there and I thought they'd like shoot around me, but they just kept hitting me in the chest. Um, and then we switched sides and I'm like, Oh man, like we got to try and even this out. So we got to like kind of play a little bit. And it got to the point where like I was keeping it so even that it was too close. I'm like, Oh, I need to stop Zach. And he starts walking in on the left side of me. So I go in a little VH and then he fakes the shot. Toe drags, pulls it around and he embarrasses me. And when I reached out to try and like, get the stick out and poke the puck or like reach out on that save. That was me genuinely trying to keep him from scoring. Um, so yeah, that was, that was embarrassing. I got turned inside out by an, uh, a 10 year old, but Zach's a very good hockey player and he scored uh, like two goals in the OT winner. So like, I feel like I had a great hand in that. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, that starts with the coaching. So. It's just, I, I'll do whatever it takes for my team. And then they came home with a banner and some medals, gold medals. So did I do did the right win? thing? Yes. Did you I get did embarrassed? Yes. When did you win the shootout in practice? No, that's, that was the last game. I won the other games, obviously, cause I'm so good against 10 year olds, but uh, that was the last game mini game we played before ice was over and I lost and I got hung out to dry. Jock was in the corner, stick in the corner. It was embarrassing. So. I don't know, man. Oh, yeah. Can't win them all. Hey, the team won. That's all that matters. And my goalie, he played stellar all weekend. So that's that's what it comes down to. Oh, yeah. Um, outside of that, Kyle, uh, we got Andy Moog here lined up. Kyle, you actually you threw in some very impressive questions that I didn't even have noted. I wouldn't have never thought about. So I give you a lot of credit there. Yeah, I think uh, I'm just a, a fan of gear. And, you know, I don't. I don't he's a pretty... Uh, cool guy to talk gear with and a lot of them just kind of came naturally so obviously he's a, a legend of the game and uh probably one of the biggest hall of fame snubs of all time so yeah i didn't i didn't i didn't know how to bring that up because i'm sure like everybody yeah. says that but yeah. like how is this guy not like jennings trophy three cups four-time all-star 18 years and like i said like having a three-point you know whatever uh goals against in the national he hockey league in that area yeah, it was it was three point one five, I think, all time. But like most of his years, he was under three, which is just crazy. So. Insane when those guys are putting up six or seven a night. Yeah. So let's uh, let's send it over to Andy and stay tuned for uh, the next episode. Kyle, I'll see you. Very excited. I haven't talked to Andy in what I met you three four years ago when we did the Minnesota show. Um, yeah. But it's it's been a while, but. Everybody, folks, I'm very excited to introduce uh, three-time Stanley Cup champion, four-time All-Star, Jennings Award winner, spent 18 years in the National Hockey League, Andy Moog. Andy, how are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Nice to see you guys. Man, it's uh, it, this has been a long time coming. I know I bothered you about this a couple times, but we finally mm -hmm. got some uh, scheduling put together, so I'm really excited to uh, 
to just talk your years in the NHL. And the first place I got to start out is we had Dom Malerba on here before, who, for for those that don't know our listeners, Dom is the man behind uh, the mask with Pro's Choice, who does all of our custom masks. And you're (laughs) the really cool part about this episode, Andy, you were a first for both sides of this. You were Dom's first player in the NHL with a mask, right? That's right. Yeah. Was it really how it how he said it was where he just kind of knocked on your door and say, hey, Andy, I know you're playing for the Bruins. I'd love for you to try this mask out. You know, I'm, I'm going to give him a little more credit than that. Before Dom was behind a mask, he was behind the snowplow that did my driveway in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> so that makes so sense. that's how we met. I flagged him down one day. He was doing driveways in the neighborhood. And he says, yeah, sure. And he didn't know who I was. And then he did my driveway. And then sure enough, uh, uh, one day he's finished up and he says, you know, I, I make masks. He says, really? Oh, you should show me one sometime. He's got one in the truck. So he goes and gets it out of the truck and that's how it started right there. Oh (laughs) man. I think think the funniest part is that he didn't know who you were because he's a diehard just sports guy. I mean, he he calls into the Boston radio stations to complain about the teams. (laughs) Well, back then in the, late eighties. It was a little more innocent time, I guess. Yeah. Did he ever, he ever, uh, offer you some, some tips too, not just mask wise, but (laughs) how to play the game. Uh, I, his, uh, where was his little league that was in Reading or, or, uh, Saugus or something. Yeah. Saugus. He's out of hockey town. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't get caught dead in that rink. I uh, I mean, Andy, how long were you with the Bruins before he realized who you were? I, I think by I think by the second second or third time he came and hit the driveway, he figured it out. So it was maybe a couple of weeks, <laughs> and uh, and then it was and then it was on at that point. And uh, you know, we've been friend we've been friends ever since, and and uh, it's 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 great story the way it started. Yeah, he's uh, he's an incredible guy. Just uh unbelievable at his craft but he did bring up another story um so obviously i did he do any other landscaping for you there andy uh he did some did some work in the in the summer months as well mowing and uh, and just general maintenance uh that was his uh two sides of his uh work the the snow removal and then the landscape yeah okay because he did tell me a story he wanted me to ask you about is when you originally first moved in and obviously he just kind of started helping out doing stuff in the summer he said you'd be picking weeds and you went up to dom and you asked him like man it's like why do i feel like i'm all itchy and stuff and dom said he looked at you and he goes andy you're you're picking poison ivy behind (laughs) you to that day i've 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 been terrified of poison ivy it was a terrible batch i was trying to tear out he told me after the fact and yeah yeah i don't go anywhere near poison ivy anymore yeah, that stuff's a little itchy. That'll that'll irritate yeah. the skin a touch. Oh yeah, yeah, it was awful. Um, the other place I gotta ask is there's a I should have grabbed a picture before I left the office, but you're a staple in our front room because we have the first ever Vaughn picture of you in Edmonton because you were Mike's first set of gear in the National Hockey League. I think I was his first full set. He he snuck in a glove here or, or an army chest somewhere there. But I was I was the first set, and that was uh, you know a relationship he developed with a bunch of my friends from British Columbia out in BC, and uh, 
when they got the Western Canada rights to sell Vaughn equipment, they covered all of the West, all the way from Manitoba to BC. Uh, one of them said, uh, you want to take a picture with this new stuff we're making? He says, I'm, you know, I'm interested. And I say, sure. So they get the Oilers to let them put my jersey on. And then they take a bunch of photos and that's how they sold the stuff. They had a, they had a trunk full of posters and they were in their car around Western Canada for months and months. And that's how, that's how the sales of the product in at least Western Canada began was just a couple of friends from Penticton running around the country with posters and a, and a, you know, you know, it'd be a, it'd be a typed hand printed catalog with probably no pictures back then, just a description. <laughs> yep. And that's how they sold the stuff. How so? Did you deal with Mike, or did you deal with Scott Carter or Nuge? Who? How did you guys like meet? I guess. So uh, I I met uh, long friends with Scott Carter, and and uh, it was Larry Lund at the time as well involved in the Okanagan Hockey School, and they started the first pro shop with the equipment there, and then started to sell around the uh, some of the western provinces, and then uh, we set it up. Hadn't met Mike yet, and we set it up for Mike to come to Detroit, come down to the Detroit locker room one day and uh, see me with, with all my stuff in the Oilers. So I come down to the rink a little bit early and there's Mike standing out in the hall in front of the visitor's locker room at, uh, at the Joe. And he's, <laughs> he's kind of uh, looking at his shoes and like, uh, what's going on here? He says, Hey Mike, what's going on? Why are you standing out here? He says, Oh, I was in the room a few minutes ago. He says, Oh, oh. the trainer thought he was some kid trying to grab the stuff. So he threw him out in the hall. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be that could be the start of why Mike had a tough time in the few NHL lockers over yeah. the years. But hell, he was only 22 years old. He looked like a kid crying out loud. Yeah. So <laughs> I was gonna say because um, back then Dom was doing his own thing, right? So it was just complete chance that you ended up the, being oh. the first one in, in Vaughn and first one with Dom. Absolutely. I mean, Dom was, he was just a guy that was working in our neighborhoods and I, yeah. I flagged him down one day. That's as, that's as simple as it was. There was no real setup or connection. And uh, obviously it worked out pretty well. And uh, you know, in, in, in regards to Mike's relationship over the years, um, it had been so interesting to watch a guy evolve a, a brand to the world-class level that it is now. I mean, it's, it's really remarkable how these things happen and it's, you know, it's no surprise that a tenacious guy like Mike could get it done. Well, how much credit would you give yourself for, for Vaughn being where it is today? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, you, you guys have to look at those graphics and those photos uh, from Vaughn in the 80s. The, the branding on the pads was almost non-apparent. The, the branding was so small. The pictures were so small that, you know, that was the early stages of, of logos and things on the pad. There was nothing. I remember a little blue patch on the face of the blocker that was like a, I don't know, five by eight card for crying. It was really small. And so from a branding standpoint, I don't know. I, I don't know if they knew what I was wearing, but all those little goalies out there realized, hey, he's wearing something. I got to figure out what that is. So it was really on the, on the onus of those kids to figure out what we were wearing at the time, but no great graphics and no identifiable branding uh, of the equipment. It was just kids who figured out, I got to try some of that stuff. So I got to ask, like, obviously nowadays there's all these things that are setting pads apart and like guys might want this. What was it that was different or like made you want to switch over to it? Or, I mean, 
because back in the day, it, the pads were a lot simpler. That, that's fair. That's that's the way it was. Mike was uh, Mike was evolving and developing that landing pad on the inside of the knee. So that was a really innovative area uh, of equipment evolution. And that was something that attracted me, uh, uh, a landing pad that didn't require. And this was a, at the time that you, you were required to get your knee right up inside the pad in order to have something to land on when you went down in your butterfly. And he was he was evolving that landing pad. And that was really interesting to me. That would really stuck out for me. I was okay with everything else on the pad, just the, the stock version of it. But man, when I hit that landing pad for the first time, I said, this is, this is serious. This is really important. And that got me caught. And then we spent some time um, uh, on the glove. The blocker was stock standard and really good. Blockers uh, I was, yeah, I was really pushing for a little thicker, more, just, just more abundant of pad on the thumb pad. That's where I was always getting hurt with my catcher. So we were, we evolved, uh, you know, uh, there was a, there was a time when it was just sort of a little button on the thumb that evolved into the beefier style of thumb pad that it has now. But that was, that was sort of the way I customize it. Just a little bit more beef in and around the thumb area. Yeah. I remember it's like the little coin that the little plastic circle yeah. or whatever it was that would go right on the thumb. And that, yeah. that was it, Kyle. Like if you weren't getting hit on the thumb, like the, the, the quarter size yeah. protection, man, you're, it stingers all day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that, you know, that was it. You, you used to get, you used to get hurt in the stuff and that was normal. That was accepted at the time. Getting a little stinger, getting a little shot in the palm of your catcher. That was normal. That was just part of the deal. Yeah, not anymore, man. You the kids catch a stinger today. They call me Everett. Everett, yeah. my hand hurts. Everett, I need <laughs> I need a beefed up. I need three practice palms. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I life's, believe it. Life's changed a little bit, but we. I mean, we breezed over a handful of things there, and I got to go back. Kyle, did you, like I don't know if you picked up the context there, but Mike, Mike was the pro rep at that point. So like Mike. Well, he was. Yeah, he was the sower, the pro rep. The, yeah. He was. <laughs> yeah. He was Vaughn. Yeah. 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 So he would do yeah. what me and Scotty are doing, where he'd go down and see the players, measure Andy, and say, Hey, what do you want to do? Except, like, what a time to be a part of the innovation of a company where, like, Andy, you're sitting there, and you're like, Well, like, we just talked about the thumb, the beefing up the blocker thumb, doing this, doing that, adding that knee stack, and like creating where what we have now is standard for all the kids that play goalie today, mm -hmm. something yeah. to land on with your knee. You guys were a part of that, and you're talking to the guy that's going to leave and write writes a bunch of notes, goes back home, goes to the garage or the shop, wherever it was at the time, and then builds it. Like, that's yeah. mind-blowing to me. Yeah. yeah. I, I really believe that all the all the things that the pros would give him in terms of little nuggets that would be evolving into the equipment, I believe he already had it. That was yeah. my guess, is that we were telling him we needed a stronger thumb. He already had a stronger thumb. He just wanted somebody to ask for it. Uh, that's the way I felt anyways. He, he was ahead of the curve in terms of research and development. And that, you know, that sort of set the stage for the evolution of all the equipment right now. I mean, mm -hmm. even think about the arm and chest, the, the arm and chest that's evolved from what it was. It, it's incredible. And, you know, he was at the ground floor of that stuff. I mean, when you were playing youth hockey, it was definitely still, it had to have been the two piece where you threw the, the body and the yeah. arms on, right? Definitely. The arms, the arms weren't anything. It was just putting like blanket quilts over, over the yeah. bicep. Yeah, for sure. So, that was the way you played. Where, what was like, where was the worst place to get hit back in your day? Like, where did you just not want a shot to come at you? Um, well, the obvious one would have been the first place to start, but, 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that out. You know yeah, what? The yeah. worst the worst one for me, uh the the protection on the elbows really hadn't evolved. And and if you got hit on the inner elbow in here, oh. or you took one, you took one out there when you went up with your blocker, oh my God. Uh, your your arm would be your hand would be numb yeah. for hours on end if you took a real good one in your in your elbow area. So when when the the, the evolution in the in the elbow pad of, of an actual arm and chest, there there at one point there was no elbow pad. It was just a sleeve. And when they started to create a little beef and a little more security and allowed that elbow pad to stay in place, uh, I honestly I think that that's the evolution of why players or why goaltenders. Were able to start fielding pucks up in their chests and their arms. Prior to that, it was all limb based. You know, I didn't want to take anything with my forearm. I didn't want to throw my shoulder into something. It was going to hurt. It was going to be a couple of days of recovery. So back then, it was get your hand up, use your hands, don't use your body. And then the equipment evolved. The protection became so great that you could start dropping your shoulder into shots and have no repercussions. So uh, it really helped, had a big part in evolving the game. But uh, the, the protection side was necessary. It was just guys are shooting at harder and you had to add more protection. And uh, funny to note, I got to expose Mike here a little bit. So one of his first chest protectors that was like a full unit where your arms are finally connected to the body. He uh, I, he was skating this summer with a group out of uh, Michigan. The Piranis, a uh, bunch of guys from Piranis had a skate going and he would go out and play. Andy, he still wears the same white chest. Well, that's it's not white anymore. He just yeah, right, a little right. a little off colored. But man, he still wears the original chest. Yeah. It's incredible. The shoulder floater is literally like the size of his pack. It's not the one that goes yeah. all the way down. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, and that was a big step to get that size. Oh yeah, that was floater. huge. <laughs> that was unbelievable. Like it was revolutionary. Now think about it today. Yeah. What was uh, the? Uh, did he have a, like model names back then? Was it like Legacy? Uh, no uh, legacy came a little later i'm trying to velocity came a little bit later that would have been like the uh, 100 200 stuff 400 400 200 400 i think the pro was the pro 1500 i think so i think the pro line was 1500 so i don't think there was any any logo outside of the the, mm -hmm. the branding of the number the number was the identity mm -hmm. yeah i think i think i think i had a a thousand fifty catcher glove. That was one. It was a thousand fifty, and it was a two-piece cuff. So yep. you had the conventional old cuff, and then you had the little cheater bar, and that was beautiful. The way they called it a cheater, it came down from the extension of the cuff down to the top of the thumb. Yeah, cheater bar. You, back in the day, you didn't have this giant cuff box nope. that extends out. You had a wrist pad, and then yep. then we connected what you're calling the <laughs> cheater bar from the wrist pad to the thumb, so that way it would kind of like. Anything that was slightly above the thumb, you get a little pocket in there, catches yep. the puck, puts her down. Yep. Yeah, nice I think good. my first, my first two or three years pro, I didn't have, I didn't have the extended cuff for the cheater. I just had a, a catcher with a conventional cuff and the mitt. That was it. So this, this would be a four eighty five that that little extra piece started to show up. Just bumped the save percentage up a couple tenths. That's all we need, right? <laughs> yeah. Tony Esposito's big jerseys, Patrick Waugh's big pants. He just had to keep getting bigger. You just got to You, you got to find a way. Like Pardon me. Did you have any tricks like that? Uh, I had, I had, uh, I had rolls on the inside of my pants. So I basically from 
the just above my knee to my the top of my pant there was no five hole if i went down there was no space in there it was oh completely. yeah so i had big it was they looked like big old hot dogs and they went down the inside of my pants and they were beefed up there and um like some pool been, stuff from yeah just kept yeah kept making them bigger and bigger and uh, that would have been my biggest cheat i guess i didn't i had a little bumper on my on my arm and chest for the longest time but that was a that was an injury initially i got hit in the ribs and uh so they protected my ribs and then it stuck out like four inches and i don't think i ever i don't think it ever went away for the rest of my career i had an arm and chest that stuck out on my i guess it was my catcher side my left side it was probably four inches away from my body and was rigid and so i just stopped getting beat between my catcher and my glove uh, my body after that whatever it takes baby <laughs> yeah not cheating um, you're not trying exactly andy there's some stuff you brought up too about the graphics and the labels and like how you know when that stuff was being worn at the time it wasn't huge and you brought up something that's i believe and i don't even know if kyle knows about this you might um but the old blue little sewn on patch that mm -hmm. says handcrafted by mike that yeah. is some of like if you can find any equipment from that era with that on it i would pay top dollar just to have one because the blue label is so so cool but like you said back then you can you, you can see the blue label you can see the yeah. blue patch but you can see what's on there no no it was so small and that that patch sat on a on the face of the blocker in the spot to just get the most abuse just so destroyed that, <laughs> yeah that little white graphic printing on it would go away really fast yeah, and the, the cameras weren't picking it up either back then. No, not a chance. Yeah. <laughs> no, no chance. Um, yeah. But I, one first point I have to make is Adam Burkle from The Office wanted me to mention your black and white set from the Boston Bruin days. He said when he was a kid, he wanted those, like that was the set of all sets to have. And yeah. he just wanted to let you know you had unbelievable style. <laughs> I, I think that was, I think that was the first version of Legacy. If I'm correct. I think that so. Was, that was either the first or second year of a of a legacy pad. And yeah, they were stellar. They were really good. And interesting for me, that was the first time uh, that was the first time I went to a synthetic pad. So the materials were were all man-made. So virtually no deer hair anymore. It was just uh, all the synthetics and uh, oh, the pads were probably two pounds lighter per pad. Yeah. And that was the first year I went to those. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing that I wanted to run by, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a lot of people that do tribute sets from your old stuff, yeah. Andy, like the, the, the sport golden black. I've seen a bunch of different versions of it where they, they call in and customers call in and they say, Hey, we want like what Moger had when he was with Montreal or Boston. Yeah. And yeah. it is so cool to see. Yeah. I like, I like seeing that stuff come back to, you know, uh, you got to keep evolving, but some of the good, some of the old stuff's pretty good as well. Hey man, it's, it's cool again. Um, my last question from what we discussed, Dom, when you knew him and he first started, did you know Dom when he was in his bodybuilding days? No, I, I didn't know. He was still <sighs> a fit guy. He was still a really fit guy when he was working for me. Like he was young and fit and he'd do it all himself. I mean, just work, 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 but he was really fit. But uh, no, I didn't know him in that other version. Yeah, we'd love, I, I need to, somebody's got to have pictures of Dom just when he's just completely yoked, just yeah. huge guns, 22s on each side. <laughs> I can believe it. 
you not have one, Ev? I feel like I've seen one before. I have that's that's possible, yeah. He had a little he had a little posse. We went to a we went to a memorabilia show one night in Boston, and uh the mask had come out, uh uh the mask had come out, the the bear mask had come out that year. And about a month later, he there was a memorabilia show in Boston. He took me down there and we sat in a booth for a while and signed some fans autographs and stuff and he had a posse of three or four guys and they were all like that yeah they were all, <laughs> they were all walking in i walked behind him and they were they were three abreast but they covered like half the half the auditorium when they walked through Just, <laughs> yeah door, can we get some bigger doors in here yeah i can't yeah my boys can't get through <laughs> yeah and they they laughed oh man they're they funny that's great that's um yeah. So I wanted to go back because I remember you telling stories and uh, when we back and we were in Minnesota at the last Let's Play show that I the first and last I ever did. And that was when I got to meet you, Andy. Um, but uh, back when when you were playing and you guys were buzzing around with the Oilers and you had like just the most incredible years there. You guys were flying commercial, which I think a lot of people like Kyle and my age don't realize is like everyone. They, they just assume everybody in the NHL always flew private. You guys always had like, you know, flying first class private planes. No big deal. Travel's easy. But I remember you telling me a story about how like when you guys would fly, they'd throw you in the back of the plane. It would just be the team and like the staff and everybody. They put all like uh, pedestrians and everybody else at the front. But when you would come off, people would know where you guys were landing because obviously the Oilers were the Oilers at the time. So everybody's yeah. waiting to see like you, Coco, to see Wayne. Like I remember, like wh- how did you guys get Wayne out of there? Didn't you say like you snuck him off like on the tarmac? He'd get in a car and like peel off the other way. There might have been a time or two of that, but uh, surprisingly, for the most part, it was it was a typical travel day. Uh, there was a there was a game we played. Uh, if if one guy checked a bag on a commercial flight, then it was a green light. Everybody could check the bag when it was <laughs> when it was free. Yeah. So if one guy checked, then everybody checked, and then you go to the carousel downstairs, and you. would you'd all put a dollar in and first bag out won all the money. So that was a, that was a game at the carousel standing around the commercial airport. But for the most part at that time, you know, Gretz, we're, we're got a travel party of 30 plus people. Nobody's going to get uh, out of hand. Nobody's going to do anything stupid. They might mm-hmm. ask for an autograph, but back then that was the extent of it. People weren't crazy about it. Uh, the autograph seekers would hang around, you know, at the airports, at the rinks, at the hotels, that sort of thing. And that was just, typical and normal but uh very few instances where anybody got out of hand well that's good yeah um the one i do remember you telling me about though and i think you need to clarify this but wasn't there a shaving cream pile in one of the planes yeah there's a few (laughs) a few faux pas on the on the plane the biggest one would be if you fall asleep on the plane now granted we're all we're all tired the most of us are hung over, get on the plane early morning, commercial to the next town. And if you fell asleep, all bad things can happen from, from uh, scissors cutting your tie in half to a pile of shaving cream on your head to uh, your shoes mysteriously go missing. And they're on the carousel out in the, <laughs> out in the airport. When you get to the carousel, you got to walk through the airport in your socks. Um, well, oh, uh, the worst one, ice cube in your lap when you fall asleep oh no <laughs> you wake up and walk out of the plane looks like you you know <laughs> had a little we accident. 
we were delinquents. We were crazy. <laughs> the, the, the funny story about to the airports and waiting in the airports, and this one never ceased to amaze me how funny it could be no matter how many times you saw it. Inevitably, somebody would show up with a fishing line and a piece of scotch tape and put it on a $5 bill and lay it out in the middle of the hall at the airport. And then somebody would be walking up and go to reach for the $5 bill and they'd pull the string and it'd go away. And, and the reactions and the laugh and the hollers from everybody, we'd have a whole, we'd have a whole terminal screaming and laughing at this when it happened. And it was such a stupid little thing, but I guess that tells you how tired and maybe how hungover we were. Everything was funny. That's great. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I hadn't realized at the time but when I go through and I did all the like just looking at all the numbers, the research, the years you were there, the, the time that you got to play hockey and what you went through in the NHL in your 18 years, like Andy, your numbers were incredible everywhere you went. I mean, to have like it's roughly like a three point something goals against average in that yeah. era of hockey yeah. is like that's insane. You were an elite <laughs> goaltender. But I Kyle, did you watch that video I sent you? Did yeah, I did. I did. Andy, man, you were the king of two pad stacks. That oh, was oh, yeah. electric to see. Okanagan hockey school, man. <laughs> I taught it. I taught it. I did it for years and taught it for years. It's gone away now, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that was came that, back. That, this, that was this, sorry. This week, this week, there's been like I think three two pad oh, stacks. Yeah? In the league, so yeah. it's I don't know making a comeback. So the yep, the evolution of two pad stack really came long before my time in the NHL. It was like the forties and fifties mm -hmm. and the goalies used to throw their feet at the puck because they didn't have a mask on. They didn't get a hit in the face. Yep. So that's where you see all these diving head, head away, poke checks and two pad stacks and, and goalies stayed on their feet because they didn't want to get a hit in the head, you know? So that sort of evolved from that time. And um, yeah, it was just sort of a taught, a taught skill versus a butter a sliding butter, butterfly which is a relatively new evolution last 20 years mm -hmm. that was it you you just set up catch an edge and drive to a to a stack position and teach it in hockey schools goalie school it was hilarious yeah what i think kids don't realize though is like when i was watching that and when i do it in my uh, stellar C league Wednesday night men's league games is throwing a couple pad stacks out back to back is exhausting. Oh yeah, it, yeah. it is completely exhausting to go down, get all the way up and bust it down. When I was watching that highlight reel of your saves, Andy, that I sent to Kyle, there were three or four clips where in one like save series, you would throw pad stacks two or three times. I'm like, how did he do it? This guy was in incredible shape to be able to do that. <laughs> Yeah, there was some of that. That's little equipment too. Remember that, Everett? Those those pads were small. I mean, but they I were never, heavy. I, yeah, I think Mike snuck in a pair of thirty threes on me one year, but I never wore higher than thirty two pads. That's I think, crazy. I think the last year in Montreal, he he, he put thirty two on the label, but I think he was putting thirty three on. Them. He's like, we're gonna make Andy a little bigger. Little does he know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, well, back then, at that point, you had no rules on graphics. So he says, I can't put these graphics on a 32-inch pad. I got to get a bigger pad. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I did want to ask, what was it like playing with, like, Wayne? And I know every from everything that I've ever read or seen and watched on TV, you and Coco, Grant Fuhr, had a great relationship. Is that pretty accurate to say? Yeah. I mean, we were, um, we were left up to our own devices for the most part. We had some people that helped us 
on occasion, but overall we were no goalie coaches, no, Mm -hmm. no. So we vented with each other, you know, we just blew it off from time to time and let us and let each other vent on each other. And that was sort of the best way to best way to sort of let the tension out. Okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, I got, I got, can I pause or something? Yeah, no, you're good. No problem. Okay. I'll be right back. Yep. He couldn't leave it. No problem. Um, but yeah, like back then you didn't have like your goalie development coach, your, your team goalie coach that's with you Mm -hmm. all the time. It was just you and Coco. But when I read, like I went through some of the series, like there were times where they would flip the script so fast. We're like, you know, Grant was playing, he'd be playing in the playoffs and he'd have two or three series in the bag. He'd be three games in lose. They flip it to you. You'd go in and you'd take the reins. And I think today and the players that, you know, the stories I hear about guys today and what they deal with and the duos and stuff, I feel like that would be a lot harder, but you and Grant did it year after year after year. And like, did you ever have issues or was everything pretty smooth? Yeah. You know, the, the reason, the reason there was never any sort of, of, of unrest or, or concern about it was that the, the environment in the locker room was, was uh, personal agendas had no place in here. And it was a, it was a really well controlled locker room, you know, coaches and managers did it, but the leaders in the room did it too personal agendas just get checked at the door and you come in and you play for the team. So um, that, that was probably a, one of the basis for our ability to have that relationship. Second thing was it was all about winning. And uh, I, uh, I got told early on in my career there, first or second year, trying to get out of the minors and get to the NHL. Uh, I came, I came up, I got called up and he said, you know why you're here? And uh, you know, I said, yeah, I'm here to play. He says, no, I can get anybody to play. You're here to win. And that was sort of the basis of the foundation of my career in the NHL. They can get anybody to play. Who, who can he get to win? And mm-hmm. that was the bottom line for me. And I think it's, you know, it's ingrained in me through all my playing days, and all my coaching days. You know, that's the way I approach the job. And that's the way I present it to anybody I deal with now. They can get anybody to play. You're here because they think you can win. You're Coach, elite. Go, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know you've probably, you've heard this questions thousands of times in all different interviews, but I know our listeners are going to have, they're going to want to hear this. Like you have to practice again against Wayne Gretzky throughout the whole season, day after day after day, when you're not playing in games, how brutal and tough was that? You know what? It was, uh, it was the ultimate challenge for sure. And there was certainly plenty of rough days when we went through it, but, uh, I got, I got, pulled aside by Pete Peters one night. Um, where were we? Where were we? I think Pete was in Boston and he pulls me aside. He says, what are you guys doing in practice? He's, I said, what are you talking about? He says, I watch you guys practice. It's unbelievable what you and Grant go through, what you have to do. And I just said, well, you know, that's the, that's the way the team practices. And that's you know, trying to, I think it's making me a better goalie. Mm-hmm. And it was just a real demanding sort of practice scenarios, not much resistance, usually one on O's, two on O's, two on ones, three on twos, you know, just, just fly, 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 score, score, score with very little defensive resistance. And so you left up to your own devices. You, you learn about, you learn early about not over committing, not adding too much depth when it's outnumbered like that. Uh, Grant and I were learning lessons young in our career that some guys might've taken five or six years to figure out. 
mm-hmm. terms of dealing with outnumbered rushes and and being outnumbered on a, an attack scenario. So Grant and I had the ability to be aggressive, but also be passive and wait. And, uh, you know, I think that was a compliment, some, somewhat of a compliment from Pete Peters that day is, is what are you guys doing in practice? He recognized that these two young goalies are getting better fast. What's going on? And he just mm-hmm. asked us what we're doing in practice. And I said, you know, that's just the challenge out there every day. You know, we're getting beat up a lot, but there's a lot, a lot of good stuff that comes out of that practice scenario as well. Well, by the time you make it to games, it's like a cakewalk after that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, guys are yeah. sit, sitting in the second beer like, oh, man, this is yeah. easier than practice. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not um, nearly hard. Yeah. I uh, I did some more research. And as you know, you went on in your career and playing in Boston and then eventually Dallas and Montreal. I didn't realize you had an overlap with some other amazing players that like I grew up watching early mm-hmm. on it was like, you played against Mario. Obviously, we already talked about Gretzky was in there. Eiserman was starting out with the wings, very, very young. Brett Hull was in there, Ricci, Messier. And then you swept Patrick Waugh in 91, 92. Like, that's to me, like, that blows my mind. That's the coolest thing to be able to say. Yeah. Yeah. What? We were, we were really good that year. Boston was really good that year. Yeah. I'll start there. Yeah. What, I mean, what was it like going through that era, especially playing out in Boston? Uh, in such a crazy sports culture where you have like your mask guy calling in the sports radio and be like, no, I know Andy, Andy, yeah. Andy's giving it his all, you know, fighting for you on this sport talk radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, it, you know what it was, it, we were in a capsule. Let, let's keep it at that. You know, that the team didn't have, the teams didn't have the distractions that are present today with respect to, um, social media and external pressures and external interference. Back then, it was a simpler and more innocent time. There was very little of that going on. And, and as a result, I believe, now it might be a big debate on this, but I believe the teams were closer, more close-knit, relied on each other more often than not with respect to just general life. Forget about hockey, but, you know, the wives were close and they did things together when the guys were on the road. And, and it was just a more tight-knit, community and environment around the teams back then. And that, that sort of insulates you from some other stuff that goes on away from the rink uh, that you can't do anything about. So I think that's part of it. We were a really close knit group there in Boston. It was so much fun to be a Boston player at that time. And uh, I think we, we did a good job of fighting for each other. We were, we like to be a part of or the accountability group, like players held each other accountable. That was part of it. And it was comfortable to do it. And, and we did it quite often. And I don't know, that's just, it was just a tight knit group that, that uh, really worked well together. And uh, it's, it's harder now for sure. Teams have a much more challenge to keep their group tight without all that interference, but uh, and still do it. But back then, I think it was a lot easier. Yeah. And today you have like the way the league is set up, the personalities and the dollars that are thrown at it and all the outside stuff, like you said, social media that builds guys up and creates, I don't know if it's, I mean, it's probably easy, pretty easy to say it could be an ego problem. That could be one of those things, but like the buildup you have to deal with. And like, you look at what San Jose is going through right now, like what a disaster, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you protect people? Yeah. When they, when they sort of go off the ranch and try and do it themselves, mm-hmm. how do you protect people at that point? You gotta, you gotta let it go. It's on, I guess. And, 
that's a real challenge for them. But back then it was, uh, you know, I always felt like management or coaches had your backs. Now it's harder to see that in mm-hmm. the, today's environment. But back then it felt like they had your back. They take care of you. What are your thoughts on the players that um, are kind of showing more personality, like the Austin Matthews and, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the social media guys who, who are maybe making the game more popular, but do you think it's taking stuff away in a, or in a negative sense? Well, first off, I gotta, I gotta tell you that I've been, I've been binging Ted Lasso. So I all know, know all about branding right now. Yeah. Great show. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that part where the, the girls trying to brand the team, brand the players. Well, that's, that's what it is. Right. Yep. You know, a, a guy like Matthews or somebody else that's doing it, they're not on their own. They're getting some guidance in terms of this is how to set your brand and develop your brand and that sort of thing. And I think it's all it's all positive with respect to the game. It's it's all positive, but they can it can never any agenda that that player might have, that person might have, can never come into the locker room. You can't have that agenda in the room. And if there's if they're smart enough to take care of it away from the rank and come to the room and team agenda first, well then no problem. But if that, if that other stuff starts to come in the room is their agenda is more important than the team agenda. Well, guys, I think you got a problem at that point. Mm-hmm. With that being said, I guess to keep Kyle's question rolling, what are your thoughts on teams relaxing the dress code? Uh, I, I was, I was never really a strong uh, believer in the dress code is, you know, you look good, play good. I get that. I, mm-hmm. I understand it, but I never, I never really put too much credit into how I appeared in, in relation to how I played. Uh, I think my mind was the reason I played good or played bad. It wasn't how I looked physically. So I don't have a problem with relaxing it. Hell, I remember coming to the game in the, in, in the eighties, the dress code for some teams back then, this was the rhinestone cowboy and all that era. It was uh, designer jeans, cowboy boots, and leather jackets. That was oh yeah, baby! <laughs> yeah, think about yeah, think about that era. Think about John Travolta and Urban Cowboy. That was the dress code, and uh, cowboy hats were in it at the time too. So I mean, it's always evolving; it's always changing. Let's uh, bring that back, though. Let Let's make a week out of that where the NHL gets on board yeah. with that. <laughs> Everybody, get a bowl of tie out there and. Nice pair, nice pair of cowboy boots. I'd be on, I'd be on board for that. I, I mean, Andy, you're sounding pretty modest though about not, not worrying about how you're dressed. Cause I saw another video when I was looking up on the old YouTube where you and uh, Grant were sitting in the back of a drop top car, you know, the, uh, oh, the yeah, old convertible yeah. Stanley cup parade and you got the collar that comes out yeah. three inches oh, past yeah. the suit coat. Oh man, that kid was dressing. All right, you you two are a little too young, but you you don't remember our nickname back then. What uh, was it? Our, our nickname in the room was uh, what was it? Um, what was the what was the two guys from Miami Vice? Oh yeah, let's see, Crockett and Stubbs. Crockett think... and well, it was the two guys on Miami Vice. Miami was, Vice. Uh, yeah. It was leisure suits and pastels. Yeah, Crockett, Crockett and Tubbs. <laughs> Crockett Tubbs. That was that was our little nickname, and and we were we were dressed up for that parade that day, and we both had our Miami Vice look on. Yeah, Grant <laughs> Grant had the giant blacked out aviators. Man, you guys yeah. are styling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and love that. 
let's uh let's bring it back to ted lasso i gotta ask have you finished all the episodes out or you just no i have no i'm midway through the second year okay so you're in second season i'm trying to think what happened then ted's on the team at this point um they they lose the championship league game yeah so they're in relegation right they're in relegation and they get the champions league and then they lose the the champions league semifinal or whatever okay. it was. Yep. Yep. So, yep. So who's your, uh, I guess, who's your favorite character? Uh, it'd have to be uh dent dent. Re- yeah. The retired Are- player. What was his um, name? No, Roy Kent. Roy Kent. Yeah, that's right. Roy Kent. He would have definitely been my favorite guy. Oh man, he's unbelievable. Just the way, like he's again, like one of Dom's uh, bodybuilding buddies yeah. walks around like this. Just I'm so. pretty sure I play with a few guys like that. Maybe that's why he's my favorite guy. One hundred percent, toughest guy in the toughest guy yeah. in the room, toughest guy in the team. He's yeah. not afraid to tell people to shut up and listen. Right? <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, who's the who's the guy you hate, or who's the character? It could be a girl. Who the guy that rubs me the wrong way the most? Yeah. Uh. Well. Uh. What's his name? The uh, assistant to the assistant manager there. Uh. His first name's Leslie. Uh. Higgins. You don't like Higgins? Hey. Hey. Uh. Well, Higgins in the early part of the show is the first year. That that sort of person could never be around a team. They oh yeah. Yeah. The, the yes man. Yeah, they beat the crap out of me, be gone so fast. You got to be, you got to have a presence. You got to have a a personality. You got to have an aura. If you work for a team, you can't be somebody sort of mousy behind the scenes. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe I I didn't like him in the early episodes, but I like him in the later ones. Yeah, just just wait till it gets through. And then we can we can have another whole episode where we can talk about <laughs> once you finish uh, up on Lasso and your current man, I can I can go on for hours there. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to ask here, and I still cannot believe you you wore this. Kyle, did you know Andy? For, yeah, I was I was about to ask that. You too. know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I just yeah. saw the saw the picture. Do you want to ask it? Yeah, I got it. Andy, you wore a bubble as a goalie. How did you do that? Yeah. Who, who con- the first question is, who's conned you into like, hey, Andy, this is probably going to be great for your game? Well, I, I tried, you know, up until the day of the first game of that 88 Olympics in Calgary. Uh, they were telling us that uh, both uh, uh, Sean Burke and my masks were going to be IHF approved. Yeah. So right up until the day of the first game, they said, yeah, you're going to be able to wear those. Because that was and like the said, Cooper setup, right? You still had the two piece. No, no, I was, I was in the, I was in the, uh, the mask and, oh. and bar set by then. Okay. So I had a, I had a, a team Canada painted the whole thing, and they said that was going to be fine, and they told us the morning of you can't go, and uh, so I've been practicing with some other bar setups. You, they weren't allowed to wear cat's eyes. You couldn't do the cat's eyes, so you had to have the, the grill thing, the Mike Richter things. So Berkey was fine with it, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Uh, yeah. I just, it was just too confusing. So then I put an eye tech on and, um, you know, I said, uh, you can wear that. Yeah, I can wear that. It's good. It's sweaty. I have to be cleaning it a bunch, getting the snow off it or whatever. It was fine. It honestly wasn't fine. I knew there was a problem though. Um, well, they, I'm sorry. IHF knew there was a problem. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wear it for warm up, and I wouldn't wear it for practice during the Olympics. So okay. when they, they were doing their observations and, and studying everything, they realized, okay, we've got a problem here. The goalies won't wear the approved mask 
for practice, it's too dangerous. <laughs> so, so then they, they started to think about it. But anyways, I'd wear, I'd wear it for warm-up, my mask for warm-up and practice, and i put the other thing on. And the, the second game I wore it, uh, the manufacturers were allowed to come in. It was an iTech. And I'd known this guy, this iTech guy for a while. He was a nice guy. He worked Alberta. And he comes down and he's terrified. Like he's, he's really frightened. He says, you can't wear that. I says, what are you talking about? He says, that's not designed to wear for goalie. You can't wear that. You're going to get hurt. I said, well, listen, they won't let me wear the other thing that that's going to protect me more. And I can't use the bar setup. So I'm going to have to use this. And he was freaking out. Like he was really upset. He said, don't wear it. Don't wear it. I says, don't worry. I'm not wearing practice. I'm not only putting it on in the games. And uh, so then that was the, that was the solution at that point. And, you know, it worked. It was, it was enough. It was good enough. Why uh, why didn't they approve? Why didn't they approve your original mask? Just because I double IHF. At that point, at that point, they were all concerned about the dimension of the eye hole. Uh, They they were so concerned about the stick coming through and getting to the eye. That's the only reason. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Have you, do you, can you recall a story where a goalie got touched in the eye by a stick? No, but that was their mentality at the time. Um, so players didn't have to wear visors, but goalies had couldn't wear that mask. Think about how silly it was. But then I, I think it was less than a year later, they revised it out and you could wear everything. Yeah, because at that Olympic, they're like, man, we're looking pretty stupid right now doing yeah. this. Because yeah. Andy takes one off the face, off the bubble, that thing cracks. We got a lot yeah. worse issues than a stick yeah. coming through, the, coming through yeah. the cage. Yeah, you forced me to wear that. And now this is the result. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, it didn't take very long. I think, I think they were changed that rule within a year. Man, you were an innovator, Andy, yeah. <laughs> whether good or bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, did you ever take one off the bubble? No, no. Oh, thank uh, God. I said, I practiced, I practiced with it for about 10 minutes one day and said, yeah, I can play in this, but that, that was it. I never practiced with it again. Yeah. It was scary. Yeah. I mean, it had to be kind of cool because, like, seeing through it's pretty clear, right? It was just when the pucks yeah, are getting shot at you, you're, like, up. a little yeah. scared. <laughs> if, if any of the teams had figured out that if they just came and gave me a snow shower, yeah. I couldn't see anything because <laughs> the snow would stick to the glass, I'd be screwed. And nobody did it, but that that was my predicament. I'd be trying to wipe my <laughs> visor off with my hand. Oh, man, you'd have to put, like, a little squeegee on the back of the glove there. That's what we should have yeah. came up with. You come yeah. across on the backside. <laughs> <You're a wiper. laughs> oh man, that's crazy. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to ask on a goaltending side of things, because you've, you, I, for those that don't know, you know, Andy, after he was done playing, owned a team, was coaching, working with Dallas goalie coaching, you know, major, uh, major junior hockey and with the Dallas stars and everything like that. And, uh, I, we we don't see it here. Me and Kyle, Kyle, you follow the World Juniors pretty closely, right? Is that something you get into? I love watching World Junior Hockey ever since I was in high school. My buddy from London, Ontario, Connor Lescu, in high school at the time, he's like, hey, you're going to watch World Juniors. And I had no idea what it was. He got me into it, and I've been watching it every every winter, every ever since. It's, it's like the holiday, right? Yeah. Obviously, huge in Canada, but the question I have here is the scrutiny that Canadian goalies go through at the world junior level and even all the players, because I remember a whole other story is that was it the captain two years ago was getting death threats on Twitter. Like mm-hmm. yeah. insane. Um, but for goalies, like 
what's put them in this position where goalies are constantly just berated on the Canadian side because ever since Carey Price, everyone's looked at under like a, a fine mm. microscope. Yeah, I uh, you know I had some firsthand experience with this uh, two seasons ago. This is our our goaltender. I'm still with I'm still with the Winter Hawks in Portland. Portland, Western. yep. Yeah, and our goalie uh, our goalie was chosen to be the starter for Team Canada that year. Uh, Joel Hofer. Mm-hmm. He's in he's in the Blues organization now. So, anyways, I spent the two or three visits I had with Portland before he went off in December were all about building a bubble, building an insulated bubble around you and trying to keep out the noise and the effects of all the other elements that are, that are outside you. And we, we talked a lot about just building a bubble and, and sort of keeping in your rhythm and keeping in your focus and not letting the elements, whether it's good or bad, affect what was going on. And I, I really thought he did an excellent job of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the, I think that was Victoria in Vancouver a couple of years ago. They beat, uh, I think they beat the Russians in the final for the gold and uh, all in all, just an exceptional world junior for him. And uh, that's the challenge is, is that, you know, you think, you think you've got people behind you and backing you up, but everybody feels pressure and you know what it's like. You've seen people behave strangely when they're under pressure and you can't blame them, but how do you, how do you eliminate that? external pressure you got to build a bubble and be able to close everything and everybody out and sometimes you got to be a jerk and maybe not talk to your mom and dad every night and maybe you just got to go to the hotel and do that stuff but in the end it's it's the way to insulate yourself from some of this this noise that occurs in these events that really is is all about distraction it's not about it's not about anything except trying to i don't know shake the team's foundation so I thought he did a great job of that. And that's what I encourage anybody that gets in that situation where the scrutiny is coming big. For sure. Um, now, obviously I know it's not something that like, you know, the mental side of things and for what we do in our position, being a goalie is extremely hard and it's not easy to just say, all right, like just ignore everything. And mm-hmm. it, I know you probably worked with him for months coming up, like from the beginning of the season up until he left for juniors or for the tournament. Like it's yeah. just a constant working of it, but like, what's one thing that you think listeners could take away and try to like, try to introduce into their lives when, because not everybody gets to play, unfortunately in the world juniors, but mm-hmm. everybody's going to have a Saturday game. I just yeah. had uh, my 2011 team that I deal with. They went down to Pittsburgh. I wasn't able to go, but they won. They were down three, nothing going into the third, Put uh, they potted three goals and then won it in overtime. So for those kind of games and those players, what's something they could do to help kind of like ignore the noise, like you said? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the the best the best players I ever played against, played with, and had the you know the privilege of of getting to know were the players that had the ability. And this is skaters, goalies, doesn't matter. They had the ability to stay in the moment and what they were doing, whether it was the Sunday morning game at nine o'clock or the big Saturday night game, the big one that everybody's watching, no matter what it was, they were able to stay in that moment and focus on that job, that task. That's where their head had to be. That's where their focus had to be. And that's, that's a challenge is to, is when you're in a group setting is to get, get enough guys, get as many players as you can to be in the moment and realize that moment, that shift, that save, that period, that's the most important thing you're going to do ever. And, uh, you know, you hear about great players succeeding and they say that, 
you know, their, their next opportunity is the most important and that's what they focus on. The next opportunity they have is where their focus lies. And, and that allows them to stay in the moment and anything from the past, positive or negative, anything from the future that could be positive or negative, that doesn't affect what they're doing. They stay in the moment and they try and make that play or be that player at that moment. And that's a, you know, it's a, a long learning curve on something like that, but that's a, that's a good way for players to be present when you're competing is that that's where their heads have to be. That's where their bodies have to be. And, and uh, that's when you get the best results is when they're in the moment. So Kyle, thank you, Andy, first off, but so Kyle, if you ever get a chance to put the pads on in a lightning game at Amelie, you understand now what you got to do. Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, I've never been great at pressure, so I'll just <laughs> <laughs> plan for it to go south. Um, but I, I wanted to ask, like, I've just been kind of looking at Google at all your setups. I mean, do you have a favorite? Because I, I, I mean, I've seen people do tributes on all of them, and I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm I was just too young to to realize like a yeah. lot of the the old school throwback pads we see are what you wore. So uh, yeah. what was your favorite setup of all time? Well, that, you know, that, that first colored set that I got in Edmonton, very, very static, you know, orange bars, blue down the outside, white faces. I mean, that was, that was so cool because it was the first one I got. So I'd have to have a, a soft spot for that one. But I really, I, I always go back to that, that orange and black, or I'm sorry, that gold and black setup in Boston. Uh, the black gloves with the gold piping, uh, mostly black pads. I mean, uh, that that black setup in that black jersey, that's that's about as good as it was for me, I think. Uh, I think that was that was really cool. These oh. bad boys, right? There yeah. they are. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Unbelievable <laughs> style. Yeah. I think I think that one that one really pulled a look together that you know, the only thing missing might have been a black and gold stick. But uh yeah, I really like that one. Where's that? Where's that picture of the first colored set in Edmonton? Let's see. Uh, this isn't it. No. The old coop. Montreal. I see the blocker. I've, I've always loved the uh, when they put the number on the blocker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The waffle board. That's just such a classic look. The 35 yeah. on the sleeve, the 35 yeah. on the blocker. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, this is, see, this is Berkey's setup right here. This is what he wanted. Yeah. yeah. And the, did you use <laughs> that's great. You were using a colored tape in Edmonton? Uh yeah, we, you know what? There was no real set rules. We we're experimenting. Hey, there was yeah. that there was that mask. There was a picture of that that Team Canada mask. This yeah. guy? Yeah, that mask right there. That that was the Team Canada mask I wasn't allowed to use. So I used it all the time. I used it in all the games and everything until the Olympics, and I didn't use it. Look at and the then, bubble chin on that too. Wow. Yeah. That that mask, if you can find a late pitcher in Edmonton, that mask is painted over my earlier teardrop mask. That's really? just the way they did. It. That's just the way they did it back then. There's not a lot of money for excess stuff. Yeah. So that 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 mask is painted over the old teardrop mask. Okay. Look at Kyle the air vents on the OPG card here. Yeah. Oh, if you get some air going in there, keep it cool. Oh, yeah. I got a little more than air in there from time to time. <laughs> this is Dom's, right? No, yeah, that's Dom's. Yeah, all so, of them are Dom's. 
all of them are doms from that Bruin bear mask. Everything after that, mm -hmm. all the oiler masks, all the, I think I had three in Dallas, three masks, different masks in Dallas. You know, what's crazy is that's Dobie's mold. Like that's the look Dobie has on his mask. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. That's Dobie's look. Okay. Yeah. The, the chin thing was, you know, this was our attempt at, at starting to think about collarbone and throat protection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was really exaggerated after Malarchuk got the skate in there and uh, we started with collars and Patrick was always good about the window. He had always had the, the, the glass window right from the start. I don't, I don't know what motivated him to do that. Oh, there's that colored set in Edmonton. This guy, right? Uh, yeah, that's the one. My first colored set right there. And look at the, even the old blockers still got the blue. The blue the patch? Blue patch, yeah. That's, Man, that's wild. Oh, and this is the mask too, painted over. Yep, that's the one painted over. You're right. Got to be it. Oh, that's a good yeah. pick. Look at that textbook butterfly. Yeah. Eyes on it. I used, to, I used to know the rank by the boards. That's Montreal form right there. Yep. Yeah. This is Montreal one of my form. favorites. Yeah. That I'm, fellas, I'm wearing my arm and chest. Think about it. No way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> look at my, the elbow. I yeah, got my chest on. Look at me. Look at the ability to bend my elbow. So, wait, look is that chest. like, is that little <laughs> bump out? Is that the extra padding you, you put in yeah, there? Or is that, that elbow this? thing that, that was, I was so, uh, no, not down there. Right, Maybe yeah. this side over here. This was my catch side over here on the other side. Okay. Um, so the bump out on the other side is the is the little two or three inch, I don't know what you call it, on the side of my pants. Man, yeah. Iconic looks. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Unbelievable. Um, where else? Where are my notes at? I got a couple other things here for you, Andy. Um Exit full screen. Here we go. Oh, so I had some questions from some users. The first one was uh, he has a uh, popular Instagram account and he has a set of gear on order for us that is going to look beautiful when it's done, which will be soon mm -hmm. here. Kyle's actually been on his podcast before. Shout out to Washed Up Goalie. He wanted you. Well, he didn't really ask a question. He just wanted me to ask you about the Curtis curve and when you use that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that uh, that was uh presented to me in Ottawa one night. We played an exhibition game in Ottawa against Montreal. And the, uh, the man was a guy named Martin Curtis that, that was evolving this, this uh, technology to put into play. And then he brought it to me and I was very curious about it, but the, the one he showed me wouldn't have worked. It was just the wrong height to paddle. And I said, well, if I can get it, I think I was 24 and a half or something. I can get a 24, 25 inch paddle and then everything the same, then I'll, I'd be a guy. And about two months later, I got, I got my first set of six. And I, I tell you, I, I, I wasn't a big paddle down guy yet. It hadn't evolved, but the first time I went paddle down, it was, it was a no brainer for me. It was so stable. It just puck couldn't get through. I was just locked in. I had the entire shaft of the, of the stick on the ice and I had the entire paddle on the ice. Nothing getting through. Solid. It was just rock solid. It didn't, yeah. it, it didn't waver. I wasn't off balance. It was a so, great, you know, make a tripod thing. And it was perfect. If you want to know how before my time this was, I always thought Curtis Curve was like something Curtis Joseph like. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, well, when it, when it first came out, it was Victoriaville. So it was a Vic. And you see yep. some of those images there. I have of Curtis Curve in those Vicks. And then they let the patent go. 
And then uh, Christian picked it up and I used it from Christian for the rest of my career. Yeah, the old Vic stick, man. Unbelievable look. Yeah. Um, but no, that's great. Now, Kyle already kind of stole the question from this is S underscore Jess 86. He wanted one of your favorite gear setups in your mask. We talked about gear. What's one of your favorite masks there, Andy? Oh, it'd have to be Dom's bear. I mean, that was one, that was 100% total surprise to me. So Dom builds the mask and I put it on and you know, it's, it's lighter right off the get go. And he tells me about his technology where he can, uh, he can vacuum out all the air pockets and the, the mask becomes stronger and lighter. We still do it, that today. Yeah. So the, the mask is so much lighter and uh, it, it felt rigid. It felt firm and, and I was so thrilled with the mask. And he says, well, what do you want? What do you want to do for uh, uh, what do you want to do for design? And I said, well, you know, you've got to get a bear in there. And he said, well, what else? And he said, you know, um, I'm not the most artistic guy, but I think the bear should be menacing. And let's go with that. And he says, I think I can work with that. And so that's that's what Dom came up with. And I believe he had a friend. He had his friend, the painter. Uh uh, do do a lot of the painting on it. I don't know how much, hundred percent or what, but I know his friend did a lot of the painting on it, and then uh, and then we sort of kept it in kept it under wraps that year. I, I think it was ninety or ninety one. We didn't show anybody the mask. Yeah, I didn't even wear it. I didn't even wear it for warm up, and I put I came out for the game and I had this bear mask on, and people went nuts. They loved it. Ring's probably just going absolutely crazy. Yeah. And then Dom, Dom had all those pals of his selling t-shirts outside the garden after the game. Like these guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were we, we were, uh, the rink was on Causeway and it was like nightmare on Causeway or something. And he was selling shirts up front. And the best part is their accents. Hey, get your t-shirts. <laughs> we got Andy Moog t-shirts here. <laughs> oh man. Um, do you have a favorite goalie setup right now, currently in the NHL gear and mask? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Doby's new setup. Oh, pretty- yeah. yeah. I think I think Doby's getting the start. I uh, it's morning. I think yeah, but I what uh, what what did he say? I uh, this sounds bad. I deal with Dallas, so I should know. Um, 29th is the night that they're going to rock the. Uh, 29th is going to be the night they're going to wear the black jersey. So that's when he would break that out. Oh, that makes more sense then. All right. So I know Uh, he's, he's been working on trying to break some stuff in and get it ready to go. Yeah. Uh, Today's, today's setups. um, A lot of of interesting ones. Trying to think of one that really gets me. I honestly, I don't have, I don't have one. Kyle, do you have any pictures of your set? Maybe show Andy yours. Yeah, yeah I, maybe I have the best setup. Yeah. I don't know, I, Andy. What, what's uh, are... I like Peter Mir- What what's Peter Rizek wearing stuff? in Toronto? Yeah, what's he wearing in Toronto? I always like his setups. He's got. I think he's just rocking stock V nine graphic. I don't think he has a yeah. custom anymore. All right, but yeah, he's, he's about that. Peter's yeah. always got incredible style. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I can't pick one out right now. But uh, I don't know if you knew this, Andy, but yeah, Kyle, I asked the question because Kyle needed advice because he is now the new e-bug with Tampa. Um, okay. So there may be a time where he's called into action and he has to put on the, the bolt sweater. 
it's important to be ready. Kyle's always ready. He deals with pressure phenomenally, like you said. <laughs> no, it's uh, I'm I'm like uh, Dom calling into the radio shows in the stands, but it's tough because uh, the the tickets they give me are like at the family section. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I'm like, I can't like you, you got to watch what you say around like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Andy, my last question from our Instagram follower uh, is. Username is J underscore dog zero zero two six. And he just has a very technical question. How do you get better at catching shots on your low glove? All right. Well, that's pretty simple. That kind of, that's a nice uh, segue into the next part of my uh, coaching career. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll talk to you about, about, about the, uh, about the save technique first. Uh, the, the number of times, the instances, the, the repetition of a goalie, Watching a release and knowing where it's going and have your eyes go to where you think it's going and then realize the puck's not there and you've had all this time to follow the puck into your catcher, but your eyes have gone from the release to your glove too quick. So in many instances, I tell young goaltenders to slow down and follow the flight of the puck. Don't get so obsessed with getting your eyes to where you think it's going to be have the ability to track the pace of the, uh, the shot from the time it releases to the time it gets to your glove. It, it will give you a sensation of more time to make your reaction and make your save. When your eyes leave the stick as the puck's released and go to your glove where you think the puck is going to end up, uh, that, that doesn't allow you to track it. And, uh, you know, what, what if there's a tip? What if there's a deflection? What if it goes somewhere else? Um, those, those scenarios are always in there. So that would be my, my suggestion is to, is to slow your eyes down and follow the trajectory of the puck versus going to where you think the puck's going to end up. And uh, with that, I've got a, I'm, I'm enlisted in a new platform right now, Everett, and it's called Practice with the Pros. And they've, uh, they've developed a website and a, an app and young goaltenders can, can send me a video and their question. And I will reply with a solution and an answer to their problem. And, uh, it's just getting off the ground. It's just, uh, you know, a couple of weeks old and it's just starting to happen. I haven't, I haven't received any yet, but I don't think my, uh, I, I don't think my site is up on the practice with the pros yeah. platform yet. That's so, kind of cool. uh, like some virtual coaching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Good. I've got a word to go with it now. Virtual coaching. I like that. Yeah. Well, Kyle probably sending in some hot, <laughs> hot questions <laughs> from his, uh, his practices yeah. and his games. Yeah, I'll be, your, I'll be your, your first customer. <laughs> yeah. So Kyle, you're not like me. I just go and have a drink and try and forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's what I do for men's league, but I feel like I got to have no. a different approach for uh, the e All right. All right. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's pretty cool, Andy. So it's, uh, they do have, it looks like all socials. It's if you Google practice with the pros, you can check it out. Um, and I, I, the, the website it's linking to is practice with pros.tv, but anyone that's interested and you need goaltending tips from, uh, the legendary three-time cup winner, Andy Moog practice with the pros is going to be, uh, the way to go. Again, you can Google practice with the pros and find all of their different social accounts and their website. So that's uh that's pretty cool kyle you got yeah, anything else here i think i asked everything andy you got anything else we need to plug besides practice with the pros 
No, I'm pretty happy times. about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy about that. Thank you very much. Is this a, is this a Canadian based company where are they out of the U S or? No, it's a, it's a U.S. based company. In fact, it's from Southern California. And this platform has been in, in existence with uh, baseball for, for several years. And they've mm-hmm. had such success that they're expanding into other sports, hockey being one of them. And uh, so they, they, did a, they did a search to find out goaltenders or former goaltenders that have stayed in the business and stayed coaching that are available. And I fit all the criteria, I guess. Uh, yeah, you got a couple uh, accolades and you have a handful of years in a pretty prestigious league so i think yeah, yeah. you're going to be the guy to call to <laughs> i'll be comfortable with it though any question i get um andy thank you so much uh hopefully i think i'm heading to dallas on the 9th sudsy said i can come down okay. on no- november 9th are you going to be around all right well i'll make a i'll make a note of coming in on november 9th I, I'll show. is it a practice day or a game day practice day on november 9th they'll be on the ice at like 10 or 11 or something uh oh, to get that fun. Uh, this will be at uh, in the it's not Fort Worth, but the practice rink out in uh, America. Frisco. Frisco. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll have to hang out. Maybe go to Bucky's, right. grab a grab a pop, and hang out for a little bit, huh? You got it. Send me a text. I will. Thank you, Andy, and I hope you have a great Thanks, rest guys. of your week. All right. My pleasure. See you guys. Yeah. See ya. Yeah.